0: Log Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk
1: Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Hits Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors
0: This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner
2: panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to uh, Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Roderico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, we're going to be joined here in just a moment uh, for another great discussion on the Coach's Corner panel. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by two uh, individuals from GolfTrainingAids.com. Uh, slight program change, though. Originally, uh, John Dioulis was going to be uh, joining us. He's the president of uh, golftrainingaids.com, and unfortunately, he had to back out last minute uh, for personal reasons, but uh, uh, nevertheless, we've got a replacement, and Dane Wyron, the general manager and head of new products, as well as Emily Faulkner, uh, director of marketing and social media, uh, is going to be joining us from golftrainingaids.com. So they'll be joining me a little bit later on in the show, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the Products that they feature on the site and uh, what's new and upcoming and and a few other uh, nuggets as well and hopefully uh, we'll get some suggestions on what they think you should be uh, looking at as uh, for a good training aid. Um, I'm going to join here as I said by the uh, uh, coaches corner panel here in just a moment, but in the meantime, let me remind everybody. Of course, we are live every Thursday evening from six to eight p.m. Central here on the BlogTalkRadio.com network. And for some reason, if you're not able to join us live and um, you want to tune into the broadcast at a later point, just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live and just scroll down to the On Demand section and you'll find it there in its entirety. Of course, we are live every Thursday, as I said, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, uh, but you can listen to the recorded version at any time after the show ends uh, when it's convenient for you. So go there and also you can uh, check out any of the previously aired uh, broadcasts as well. All right, i got one of the panelists here, the other one we're waiting to come on board, so I'm going to introduce both of them, and then I'll bring uh, the one that's here out uh, uh, to begin our discussion, and I'll keep an eye out for uh, the others to to round out the panel. All right, uh, joining me on the panel tonight is Pete Buchanan. Uh, Pete's been teaching golf for now uh, for 30-plus years. He's the founder and director of instruction of Plain Simple Golf, LLC, which, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. Uh, He's been helping golfers of all levels uh, focus on building a repeatable swing and uh, has become one of my favorites here on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, Also uh, joining on the panel, uh, hopefully it'll be a little bit later, uh, is James Kyle. He's a PGA professional and coach at the East Woodlands Lake Country Club. Uh, He's also uh, uh, been in uh, 30 years plus. Uh, He began his journey as a professional golfer and coach. Uh, the incredible experiences James has had while improving his own swing, fitness training and traveling, competing on mini tours and two PGA Tour qualifying schools elevated his ability to provide incredible lessons for his clients. So I'm going to bring uh, Pete out. Pete, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ted. It's good to be here. I appreciate it. We'll keep an eye out uh, uh, for Kyle. So what we're going to talk about, uh, and it may just be you and I tonight, uh I put together an what? article for yes yeah, it's not like we haven't done it before, right that's right, <laughs> but all kidding aside, uh as I said so many times, and I was just telling you off air uh you know i I realize that you know all of you guys uh are out in the lesson t for many, many hours, and sometimes you just can't get back in time, and uh, it's uh, not a big deal. So we'll see what we can do here. So this was an article, Pete, that I put together. Actually, it's not really so much an article. as a a letter from the editor for an upcoming uh, issue, in fact, the July-August issue of Golf Tips magazine, which has just gone to the designer now, and I thought it would make for an interesting uh, discussion for us to have on the panel. It's uh, something we really haven't really, uh, we've touched on, but not really got into it uh, in depth. So... um, And really, I'm going to start it off by just sort of making this brief uh, statement, and then uh, we'll continue the uh, the discussion. So the question really that you want to pose to a golfer is whether or not they're expecting too much. And what I mean by that is are they able to manage the expectations of their game? So, for instance, I always recommend that a student takes a step back and really think about what you can reasonably expect from your game. And, you know, Pete, we've talked about this, I know, before on the show, where a lot of times people have unrealistic expectations. So uh, what I want to do is I want to focus on some specific areas. And the first one is, you know, I've been teaching now for 25 plus years myself as a golf professional, and I've come across many different types of golfers. Most often I find that people expect to get something out of the game. That is unrealistic, uh, as I said. And I see golfers who play just a few times a year and expect to hit it like pros, um, while at the same time, many of them barely even practice. What are your thoughts here? I mean, you've seen this as well. You know, you get somebody coming out to the lesson tee, and, um, you know, maybe they play a few times a year, uh, but they expect their expectations are much higher. What's the conversation you're going to have with them?
3: Well, that's a great question. You know, the first thing I always like to do is, is remind them, first of all, at the level they play at right now, if they have a handicap, I'm going to look at it and say, for instance, if they're a, well, let's say somebody who the last one I had this conversation was a 10. And so I just started to look through the scorecard with them, and I said, now let's, let's look at this card, and if, and if you want to play scratch or better, let's look at what you're going to have to do on these holes in order to do that and how you're going to have mm-hmm. to score and the types of shots you're going to have to hit to make that happen. And so I get them to start to look at each hole and, and try to try to talk them through around and, and see. Usually what happens is they're, they're looking at that and say, huh, I'm not sure I can do that. I said, well, I got news for you. You can't do that right now. And I said, you've got to devote more time in these specific areas. First of all, And then you've got to devote more time overall to your practice for you to be able to get down to that level. And I said, you know, those players that you're watching on TV do this for a living. And I said, if you took your own profession that you're in and gave yourself a handicap, you'd probably give yourself a pretty good one, or you'd probably be in another profession. So if you look at the time you devote to that, and now let's look at the time you're devoting to golf well, let's see where our expectations have gotten a little bit out of kilter here. So I think that's usually where I'll start to go with the conversation and and see how it goes from there.
2: Yeah, and that's a really great point because, uh, again, you want to look at the results that the player has uh, made. And, and obviously the best place to start is on the scorecard. You know, what do the holes look like? How many, you know, how many pars have they made? Have they made any uh, birdies uh, or, or uh, how many bogeys they've made? And then you start isolating it hole by hole and looking at it, and And quite often you can find many strokes. Um, and, and I find, you know, really where most people get into trouble is even on par fives. You You'd think most people on par fives are going to at least score par. Um, they may not birdie it. They're certainly not going to eagle unless they're a strong player, uh, but you think they're going to at least par. And I've seen some people come off not even a long par five with an eight. And, you know, I, I look at it and I say, okay, well, what are you doing here? And the first thing that they've done is right off the tee, they've lost a stroke or, or so. They've hit a bad tee shot. It's gone off into the woods or it's gone into an unplayable lie. So now they're, you know, now they're shooting three. So right off the gate, they're already behind the eight ball, and they barely even got up the fairway. So I think you're exactly right. I think looking at where they can uh, save some strokes, look at their scorecard, and break it down and find ways that they can, uh, in areas, if it's a short game that's really letting them down, okay, that's where we're going to focus on. If it's a matter of them not getting the ball in position, then we're going to look at, okay, let's what do we need to do to get it in position? It may be their ball striking. It may be just the fact... Um, that they're they're trying too hard to hit it. You know, I see a lot of players out there just trying to murder the ball and it's going all over the place. So I think that's a great point that you raise and I think that you have to really isolate and look at um, what the results of their round is and then sort of work backwards from there. So some great points there. Uh, I, I did get a message, by the way, from James and he's running a little bit behind. Hopefully he'll be able to join us. Um, so we'll continue on, you and I. So... Here's something else, Pete, that I think that we often see, and, and again, I think we can relate as <laughs> as golf professionals. You know, at the first sign of a bad shot, um, they lose their temper, uh, and the round is likely going downhill from there. So if most golfers learn to manage their expectations, I think they would enjoy the game more and probably play much better. And, and that's the thing is right away, you know, we all hit bad shots, right, Pete? And, but right away, they've turned it into a situation that when they hit a bad shot now emotions start coming and they're they're angry they're frustrated and they're bringing it in give us some thoughts here again I know you've seen this many times what do you again let's go to the discussion what discussion are we having with the player that you start seeing these fine
3: well you know you have to let them know that one shot's not going to kill the round I mean you know you mm-hmm. can have a bad shot off the tee and make a 30 footer and you just made up for it so you can't let yep. one shot get to you when if, – if you're going to shoot – if you got 85 shots today, you can't let one of those 85 get you down. I mean, that's just going to have to be – your expectation is that, you know, you're going to have some shots that, that aren't going to be as good. And and if I'm on the golf course with them, if they hit a bad tee shot, then I'll hit mine over where they just hit theirs. i said, all right, let's go. Mm-hmm. Let's see what we can do from here. And they'll say, well, why'd you hit it over there? I said, well, I don't know. You hit it over there. I figured I'd try to play it from where you're at. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what scores we can make from here. And then they look right. at it like, huh, I can make a par from here. So I'm sure you can.
0: Yeah.
3: You know, and yeah. it's that old adage that, you know, you don't have to write five on the card until after you spent four, you know, so you have to, you know, you don't make a five until the four shots done. So you have to, you know, get your get your expectation of what yeah. you're trying to do on each hole. But I think, I think the point is right that you said if their expectations are in check, then those shots won't bother them as much. But I think you, you know, and, and a lot of times they're going to, they're going to look, you know, they always look towards the bad shots. You know, when they finish a round, and say, hey, how'd you do today? And they're like, oh, man, I missed the putt on this one and that one. And that. They never remember the good ones. I always remember the bad ones. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you got to get them to, to understand there's some good shots out there, too, that you need to be aware of because those are what's going to help you get those scores intact and, and keep you going throughout the round.
2: Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, more often than not, I mean, obviously there's some exceptions to the rule, but more often than not, they've hit a lot of really good shots. But that really Absolutely. bad drive or that, or that missed, you know, missed putt that was an opportunity for a birdie, that's what they're focusing on. You know, When they're back in the clubhouse and they're you know, having a bite to eat or, or a drink after the round with, with, the, with the rest of the guys, the first thing they're going to as they're looking through the scorecard um, is they're remembering those bad shots. And the unfortunate part is when it comes time to the next time they're playing, they're still remembering those bad shots. And yes, they are. They don't, right, they don't see, right, exactly. They don't seem to uh, be willing to let it go. And, you know, no. that's really what differentiates the, the pros from the amateurs, is it's not just, you know, because one can hit the ball better. I mean, obviously there's an advantage. If you're, if you're striking the ball well, that gives you confidence. Uh, and, obviously, if you're not, you're going to lack that confidence. But I've seen some of the best players in the world. I've watched Tiger. I've watched Jack hit some really bad shots um, and still come out with a par. Um, I've even seen Tiger in some cases. You thought, there's no way in heck is he going to make par, and he made a birdie after hitting you know a, a bad tee shot because he was able to um, recover from what happened. Now, some situations, you may not be able to recover from as easily, um, but again, like you said, if you haven't uh, already shot the four, first four, don't put five down on your scorecard yet. You still got another opportunity, and and people just don't seem to get that. The other point, uh, the next point I want to talk about is we know that golf is is probably by far one of the hardest games. I mean, uh, it, it is difficult. There's no doubt. Um, so, given that understanding, why should our expectations be high? If, uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning if your commitment to practice and play is nominal so you know if you're not playing very much and you're not even practicing then why are you down on yourself why are your expectations unrealistic and you know we see the best players uh... pete in the world practice on average somewhere around eight hours a day um, now obviously they've got the the wherewithal to do that and i'm not suggesting that our listeners need to do that uh, but they too hit terrible shots. So why should you, the average you know weekend warrior, expect anything more when you hit a bad shot? And the answer is your expectations are not reasonable. So this goes back into the practice. So if somebody doesn't play a lot, um, what are some options? If they're not playing, maybe they play once a month. Let's say we'll give it a little bit more. Uh, you know, if you're playing once or twice a year, then you know there's no point in listening to this conversation. But if you're playing at least once a month, there are things that you can do um, that don't take a lot of time that can help out. What are some suggestions? If you're going to encourage somebody to practice, what are you going to encourage them to practice? It's going to help maybe make things a little bit better for them.
3: Well, the first thing I'd look at is a short game. I mean, you've got to spend some time at it because that's where you're going to score, especially putting, chipping, and pitching. You know, what was the old stats? Probably 70% of the shots you play are under 80 yards. And so yeah. you've got to get to where you can play those shots first. That's that's where I'd suggest they go, even if it's just putting. Putting can save them, you know, a ton of strokes right off the bat. So the short game would be the first place I'd start. And then the second place I would be is, you know, put the ball off the tee in play. And it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. the driver all the time. Just get it in play. Right. You know, go out and play around, and I want you to hit six irons off every tee box on all the par fours and fives. I said, well, wait a minute. I said, just practice playing from the fairway for a little bit and see how well you do. You know, give yourself Mm -hmm. a chance to score first, but make sure that you've practiced those short ones so you have the ability to get it in the hole once you get to that point. You know, so those short shots are going to be very, very important. And um, I know for me, if somebody said, hey, you're going to go play in a tournament next week, I said, man, I'm going to get out there. I'll spend 90% of my time under 50 yards because that's where I'm going to need it. Because I could pick some lofted clubs to get me around the other shots. But it's around mm-hmm. the greens where, you know, I'm going to struggle because I haven't done it very often. And so even someone at our level that, you know, hasn't if, – if we haven't played a lot, the first thing that's going to go away is short shots. So those should mm-hmm. always be practice for sure.
2: You know, I can remember – and actually I had him on a guest, and I, I mentioned this when he was on the show, but Wally Armstrong uh, years ago was on the Golf Channel. And I've actually mentioned this besides when he was on – And he went around, played three holes, a par 3, par 4, par 5. And he went around with nothing but a 7-iron, a pitching wedge, and a putter, and ended up shooting one under par. Now, that just goes to show you that it's really, as you pointed out, it's about keeping it in play Um, and not necessarily the long game. Now, You know, we always hear, and and it's exciting to watch, we always hear, especially on the men's tour, and now even in some instances in the ladies' tour, um, we're seeing some big bombers. We're seeing some really long shots. And the courses certainly have gotten longer over the years, and uh, it, it does give you some advantage if you're accurate. But you can hit it 300 yards, and if you're not accurate off the tee, that 300 yards doesn't mean a hill of beans. And... This is the problem that the average golfer doesn't seem to, to comprehend. And, uh, again, you know, I would rather, as you suggest, I would rather than maybe hit a six iron uh, off the tee um, just to keep it in play and play from the fairway. I would much rather be playing from the fairway, even if I'm 20, 30, 40 yards back from where I think I should be, um, if I had to hit it with my driver, or maybe even 50 yards back, but have a good good lie and a good opportunity, and yeah, I might take an extra shot getting it to the green, but I'm going to set myself up for more opportunities over the course of 18 holes. And that's really what it's about. It becomes strategy. And uh, again, this is something that a lot of folks out there just don't seem to get. And I'll be honest, I mentioned to you off air that, you know, I'm uh, tomorrow I'm heading up to Pinehurst uh, for a short little uh, golf junket, if you will. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to play smart. I mean, obviously I can play a, a good ball, but I'm going to play smart. I'm going to go up there because I've never played uh, at Pinehurst before, so I'm not used to other than what I've seen on TV. I'm not used to the uh, uh, the courses and that, and I'm going to go up there. I'm going to play smart. So if it means, hey, um, if the driver's not working to the best of my ability that day, then I'm going to dial it back and maybe hit a hybrid off the tee. Uh, I just want to get it in play. So this is something that I think I, I really want the the amateur golfers out there to to take note: is you don't always have to bomb it out there. The smarter play is just to keep it in play. Um, the next one also, uh, I think, something that they should consider uh, about their game is um, you are not not the same player on the range that you are on the golf course. Um, and why? Well, because there's no pressure on the range. Um, so don't be the golfers that I don't understand, you know, why I played so badly. I was hitting the ball pretty, you know, pretty great on the range uh, and that's a, a phrase we hear all the time, uh, Pete, is we get so many golfers out there that are hitting pretty good on the range, and then they get out in the golf hole, uh, out in the golf course, excuse me, and it's like, what happened to the guy that was, you know, 10 minutes ago? What are your thoughts?
3: Oh, absolutely. You know, as you said, there's there's no consequence on the range because you've got 50 more sitting there. You can hit another one. And so I think what you need to do in your range sessions is you need to play some holes while you're practicing and say, you know, let's, I'm going to hit a driver here and I'm going to pick out a boundaries that's going to give me a fairway and I'm just going to take this one ball and I'm going to hit it and see where I end up. And then from that position, okay, this is my favorite par four. Now I'm 150 yards out. I've got to hit this club. And then, you know, work your way that way. Put a little bit of, you know, extra pressure on yourself on the range, just a little bit. And, you know, pick some boundaries and, you know, try to hit the ball with, within those. But you also have to to remember, too, to, to look at at the course when you're playing. And I think what can make them a little bit better players is, is, you know, it's funny that we as professionals don't see nearly as much as the amateurs see when they play. And what I mean by that is, I'll get up on a on a par four, and I'm, I'm looking where I'm trying to drive it in the fairway, and all I hear are my amateur playing partner says, man, look at that water over there. And I'll turn to him and say, what water? What are you talking about? And mm-hmm. they'll say, you don't see that lake over there? I said, no, it, it, it doesn't, it's irrelevant on this hole because I'm not going to hit it in there. I, I don't right. even see it. And so I think, you know, looking at the holes that they play in, looking at, you know, trying to take the trouble out. You know, just by how you visualize it, or if there's a bunker that you can reach with a driver, why don't you hit a three wood or, or, you know, a hybrid, so you don't get in it. Mm -hmm. You know, I when I used to play a lot of tournament golf, I was best into the greens with a six, seven, and eight iron. So I tried to drive it off the tee to leave me one of those in. So there are a lot of times I was hitting a long iron off the tee, and they're like, "What are you doing that for?" I said, "Well, if I hit driver, I'm too close, and I'm not as good with those irons. So I'd rather back up so to play to my strength." So I think. You know, that's another thing, too, getting them to understand how to play to their strengths. And, you know, yeah, it's avoiding your weaknesses when you play. You know, if you can leave yourself in a position that takes one of your weak shots out of there, then do that. You know, put the ball, especially, you know, you are talking about par fives before. I see it so often, mm-hmm. you know, they want to bomb it as close to the green as they can. And now they're left with a 50-yard pitch shot, and they've just taken two full mighty whacks at it to try to get it that far down there. And they have no idea how to finesse a 50-yard shot, so they end up taking an eight when they're, you know, 50 yards off the green and two. You know, so you have, right. to, you have to look at those types of shots and, and, you know, try to help yourself out.
2: Yeah, it, exactly. And, and this is what we see so often. Um, you know, I, again, it, it it goes to position. You know, the other thing is, you know, we see, and and this has been talked about for for eons on, in golf. But, you know, we we've got a lot of slicers out there. Um, it's just a, a matter. Of, you know, we we work with them. We try to get uh, help them out. But there's some people that just don't get it. And one thing I always see is they'll have the you know uh, maybe a 25 yard slice, and I'll say. Why are you teeing up on the left-hand side of the tee box? Why aren't you not teeing on the right-hand side so that you're playing towards the left and allowing for that, that slice or that fade even in some cases? You know, Use the whole fairway. If, uh, if you're putting it in the middle of the tee box or to the left uh, side of the tee box and you're a slicer of the ball and you're aiming at the center of the fairway because you think that's where I want my ball to go, well, you've now taken, if it's a 40-yard wide fairway, you've taken 20 yards out. So now you've got 20 yards of, of target to hit. And it might seem like a lot, but for someone that slices it 25 yards, that doesn't give you a lot of options. So for me, I always encourage, and I'm sure you do the same, I encourage, depending on the shots that my players are dealing with, is I have them take those factors out by teeing it up on the right side of the tee box, that's going to give them the, the greatest chance. Why not give your chance 40 yards for your ball to land as opposed to 20 or 25? Your thoughts?
3: Oh, absolutely. You know, that's, again, going into playing into what you have. You know, my I can remember my dad playing was a career 14, and I could never beat him as a 14 because that rascal would make nine pars on the nine holes I had to give him strokes on. So. <laughs> for me to make nine birdies was impossible, but he, he had that patented 20 yard fade and boy, he just he'd go to the right side of the tee box every time and he'd tee it up and he'd just knock it left and let it fade right back in the fairway. And so he just did Mm. that, you know, time and time again. So he he knew how to play that. So it's, again, it's going back to, to playing with what you have and understanding what you have and using that to the best of your ability to, to get you around the golf course. And, you know, I think you're right when you're looking at strategy, most, most players, and, and I know what happens to me when I go out for a, you know a, a playing lesson. They're they're really surprised at the things that I'm telling them, you know, because they think I'm going to mm-hmm. you know help them with their swing and you know keep them from slicing out there. And I, that's not what I'm out there for. I so said I'm going to I'm out here to show you with what you have right now. I'm going to show you how best mm-hmm. to play the golf course. You know, yep. I'm not going to try to fix it because I don't have time to fix your slice out here on the on the golf course. There's there's no time. I I need repetition so on the range we can get that done. But out here, you're curbing at 50 yards right, so we're going to set it up so that ball starts 50 yards left and ends up back in the fairway. That's just what Mm -hmm. we're going to do today. But I'm going to show you how best to play with what you have and then help you practice to, you know, alleviate that when you practice. But – on the golf course, yeah, and I'm sure you find it as well as I do. They're, they're so mm-hmm. surprised with the things I'm looking at and what I'm trying to tell them and how to play a hole. And like, I never even thought of playing this hole this way. I said, well, that's why you keep making you know, eights on it. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, you've got to understand how to use what you have to the best for each hole that you're playing. So I think that's a that's something that can really help them to lower their scores.
2: You know, I had a, a, a student, just to give you an example, um, a number of years ago, who we went out for a playing lesson and he hit his drive on a severe downslope. This particular hole had a had a downslope. And he was not, he came right out and he said, you know, I'm not real good at hitting. And he was trying to go for the green. You know, he was a pretty decent player, but certain things he just was not good at. And one of them was hitting when the ball was, was on a downslope. So he's... You know he's pulling out one of his longer clubs and he's trying to go for the green. I said, "Well, wait a minute." I said, "You just got finished telling me you're not good at hitting on the down slope, so why are you going to try to go for it?" Um, it just as you said, I'm not going to. You know, we're not going to go through the whole setup and what you need to do and all that um, when you haven't had a chance to practice it. I said, "You're going to end up hitting behind the ball uh, or, or or thinning it or what have you because you haven't prepared for it." So I said, "Why don't you do something?" Uh, instead of going with a longer club, go with a little bit shorter club, like a seven or even an eight iron, um, and advance the ball a little further down the fairway. You might have to go in with a third shot as opposed to a second shot, but at least you're going to be in play and you're not going to end up losing really that much yardage. And I said, you're also going to de-loft it a little bit because you're going downhill now, so it's going to give you some good run and some good roll. And... You know, much like in your case, you know, they they kind of think, well, I don't understand why we're not doing it this way here. And it's because we don't have time. In a playing lesson, it's there to see what they're working, you know, see what their situation is and work with what they have. And then let's take what we examined on the golf course and now go back to the range and say, okay, here's this situation, here's this scenario. Now we can work on some of these things uh, under, you know, uh, you know ideal situa- uh, ideal circumstance excuse me um as opposed to trying to repair something out in a playing lesson and uh, again, it goes to for the player to really understand their game and once they understand their game and what they what tools they're taking to the golf course that particular day um once they understand which tool to take out of the toolbox at any given time, their rounds go so much better. And if they're flailing and, and, you know, waffling all over the place, they're never going to improve. And that's just fact. Um, So it's just interesting. I've had similar situations, I'm sure, as you have, uh, where people are just not in their comfort zone and they're still trying to do some, pull off some funky shot. That's just not going to happen because they haven't practiced it. And it just does not make sense, Um, you know, the old definition of insanity. So... Uh, it seems to apply in, in this particular case. So uh, so what can we do to change things around? I think the first step, is uh, Pete, is for them to really think long and hard about what kind of practice they're willing to put in. Um, so if you don't have the time or desire, as we said, um, and you mentioned about really working on your game, um, they just can't expect to get out there and, and light it up on the golf course. Am I right?
3: Oh, absolutely. There's no question you know and and you are right i mean golf is you know i've always said i don't think it's very difficult to to you know hit a golf ball and make some good contact but it's hard to score there's a lot of things that mm-hmm. go into scoring in golf and so it's it's much more difficult to score because now you've got different situations and so you have to be able to understand those situations and how they fit what you do in order to best get into to you know making the scores that you can make. You know, I I always used to say to all the folks I said, you know, a double bogey, which is two over what you normally shoot, is a bad shot followed by a dumb one. And so mm-hmm. you just have to make sure that, you know, if you hit a bad shot, you know, what's the recovery? Just like you said. And a lot of times it's not what they think, but it's just putting the ball back in play and and they they're amazed at how well they can play from there. But yeah, I mean, the expectation of of what you can do based on you know, especially nowadays when you when you follow um, you know, I've I've had the opportunity to to work with some pretty high level players, and when you follow what they do on a daily basis, from how much golf practice they do, how much they work out, how they eat, how they conduct themselves, I mean, it's just it's so different from what everybody else is doing. So to to think you can, you know, you're, you're sitting at a ten, and all of a sudden, you know, tomorrow you're going to be a you know a tour player. Uh, you know, there's some. there's there's some reality in there that uh, is going to need to bump into you a few times um, before you're going to be able to get down that road. So, you know, and, and it's just, they, they do it and, and they're so fit. They're so strong, you know, and I had a great conversation with a guy last night. I said, you know, you, you're making moves now that a tour player makes, but you just can't do it at their speed. They can do it. At, yeah, you know, I, they can swing that golf club twenty miles an hour faster than you can. It's not that you can't make the same movements, but because this is their living and this is what they do all the time, they're going to be able to do it at a faster rate, and so they're going to drive it further. They're going it, to. It's just. It's just different. But you don't have the time to get to that point right now. But let's enjoy where you are because you can hit straight, solid shots and understand what those shots can do for you. And then by taking a short game on, you know, you can get to where you can really score really well out there. I think they just have to understand, you know, what it really takes to be that type of player. I mean, it takes a lot, you
2: know. Yeah. And I. I well, and it's like I said that – sorry, go ahead.
3: Well, the other thing I was going to say, you ought to have all the knowledge I have and still miss shots. You want to talk about frustrating. Mm-hmm. You don't get to get frustrated <laughs> because I have all this knowledge and I still miss it. So you haven't spent enough time to get frustrated. So you can't get frustrated with your shots.
2: Right, right. <laughs> I had, you know I had another student years ago um, when I was uh, still back up in Canada, and, and uh, you know, he, he played hockey as a junior and that, and, and um, you know he couldn't understand why his, his golf game wasn't that good. He said, "You know I've always been pretty athletic and played hockey and stuff. And I said to him one day, and I knew him well enough to say this. I said, "I, said, uh, I think you played a few times without your helmet, didn't you?" because he couldn't understand. <laughs> you know he couldn't understand yeah. i said i think i think you hit you got hit a few times without your helmet and uh, you know but the, the point that i was trying to make is that they they don't stop and think they you know they get out there and and like i said they get out in their, the driving range and they'll you know hit a, a few good shots and they think okay great you know i'm really striping them well out here on the driving range now i'm going to go out in the golf course and then it's like you know the old saying, the wheels fall off the bus and they don't get it and it's because they're they're not you know they're taking their time on the range they're thinking about they're strategizing what they're gonna do okay i'm, I'm aiming at this target over here that's it. but when they get out on the golf course they got this wide open fairway and instead of going back to that target you know nicholas always talked about you never heard nicholas talk about well i'm going to work on my ball striking technique he always said i'm going to warm up and i'm going to think about where i want to position where i want to what position i want to get into if you ever hear him explain a hole, he'll always talk about, you know, I wanted to leave myself such and such, or I wanted to put myself in that position here. And it was always about, it was a thought process, and it was about strategy. You never heard him, even at the beginning of the season, he said, you know, in Golf My Way, he talked about how at the beginning of the season he went out there, and it was really a warm-up, and it was just a, a feel and a practice session, but it wasn't about, um, you know, necessarily technique. or that. And I'm sure he, over the years, had to tweak a few things here and there. But ideally, what he was doing was warming up, trying to get the feel back in his in his swing, because he you know back in his prime, you know they weren't playing all year round, so they had several months off, and so he needed to to sort of have that warm up again. But what he was really thinking about more often than not was how he was going to play specific holes, what his strategy was going to be. Um, he knew he could hit the ball uh, well, and he knew there was going to be some shots that he may struggle with from here I mean he was not uh you know. People are probably surprised at this, but um, he certainly was a phenomenal putter, but his wedge game was certainly not among the best uh, at that time out in the PJ Tour, and he acknowledged that. Even his bunker play was not the best, um, but it was certainly better than probably most amateurs. But that's what he was focusing on, is he was focusing on the strategy, how he was going to play that hole um, and, and overall that, that particular golf course. And some courses fit his eye, other courses didn't. And when courses didn't fit his eye, then he played a different strategy. He knew that his chances of birding that hole are are a lot less likely um, so that he would play for par. In some cases, I've even heard him say he played for bogey because he knew that there was a chance he could come away with a lot worse. And if a par happened, great. And if something else happened, even better. Uh, So getting back to our amateurs here. So here's a good example. You kind of touched on this a little bit. So if you're a 25 handicap, let's say as an example, you're unlikely to move to a 10 within a couple of months. You might be chasing that 85, let's say, you know, every time you're out there, but it's not going to happen until you address the parts of your game that require you to get to that level. So improving your scoring, as we just talked about, is a gradual process that requires many mental and physical breakthroughs. So I know you've already touched on this a little bit, but maybe you can expand on it. In order. So when we hear students coming up and saying, you know, I'm about a 20, 25 right now, and I want to get down to a 10, you know, by the end of the summer. It's not necessarily that it's impossible, but it's not likely based on most of the people, and forget some of the the better players that we deal with, it's not likely going to happen because most of the amateurs that we deal with don't want to put the time and effort in. So what have they got to do? If they really want to knock their game down from a 25 to a 10, let's say by the end of this summer, What is it they're going to have to do?
3: Well, first and foremost, they're going to have to have a clear understanding of cause and effect and why they do what they do. That way, when they're practicing, they're not spending time guessing. They're understanding exactly why they hit the shot they hit, the road to then correct it. So. That way they're always working towards correct instead of fighting an incorrect. And that's where I think most of the amateurs are at. They fight an incorrect. So they go to the range and then they get miles away from where they're supposed to be because they don't have any idea how to get themselves, you know, in the right place. So I think first of all, they have to have a, a, a very, very good understanding of why they do what they do. And then they have to seriously look at their rounds as you talked about before and on that scorecard and, you know, where's the downfall. You know, why are you making double bogeys on these particular holes? What part of your game is causing that to happen? And ironically enough, you know, it, it's not as much off the tee as they think. You know, yeah, if they drive mm-hmm. one out of bounds, I get it. If they drive one in the water, that's understandable. But for the most part, it's, it's approach shots into the greens, and then from there mm-hmm. not being able to capitalize. And, you know, they miss the green to the right. They take two pitches, one chip, and three putts, and they say, man, if I just drove it better, I wouldn't make an eight. No, that's, right. that's you know you didn't you didn't look at it you know like you said before uh, let me let me bonk you with the seven iron to wake you up a little bit and say now, hold on you had one drive in the <laughs> fairway one drive fifty yards short of the green and you made an eight so I don't think it was the first two but you know they don't no. see it that way you know because well if I could drive it fifty yards further I'd be so much better not necessarily that ball you just hit that sliced thirty yards and ended up in the right rough that would have been in the you know fifty yards further right over there. So mm-hmm. again, I, I think it's if, if they could just, you know, take the time to to really look at their game and understand it, you know, and then, you know, be able to to start to work and and play the course to best fit what they do. I think that's where mm-hmm. they have to start. But I I think first of all, having a clear understanding of why you do what you do, and then. You know, I'm always going to go back to, you, you've got to have a short game. You just can't score without it. It's just not going to, it's, it's just not possible. So you've got to be able to chip and pitch and putt. And, um, you know, those are going to be, you know, uh, really adamant in, in order for you to be able to score.
2: Yeah. And, you know, you're going to have some good and bad holes. Um, that's just inevitable. You're going to have some good and bad shots. Um, that's also inevitable. And it doesn't matter, you know, what level of player you are, you're going to have one or both of those. And I think the sooner you accept that and hopefully learn from whatever you know, mistake may have happened on that whether it's a bet was a bad shot, what, what caused the shot. And again, you don't have to isolate it now, you know, you can do it at the end of the round when you're you know, you're sitting there and, and can reflect on things a little bit better. You don't want to do it during the round. You want to move on to the next shot because you can't change the past. The future hasn't happened yet. You only have now. So you want to make sure that whatever you do, um, that you learn from it. So you make a mental note or you put a a little note on the card there and say, okay, or circle uh, that hole and say, okay, I want to deal with that a little bit later um, when I'm together with my coach and we can talk about this bad hole and what happened here. So, you know, I look at this to, to sort of summarize things. Really, what we're talking about is, first and foremost, you want to enjoy your rounds. And if you're, you know, if you're caught up in anxiety and, and frustration because you're not playing the way you would like to play, and you're not making adjustments. In other words, you know, as we talked about earlier, if you're slicing the ball, you play for that slice. Don't try to fix things out in the range. It's a great game. And it's a great opportunity to get away from everything and spend some time outdoors. So, enjoy those rounds, and then analyze things after when you're off the golf course. And and as I said maybe make some notes uh, while it's still fresh in your mind, and then go have that discussion with your with your professional. Um, and I think, obviously, first and foremost, just take a hard look at your game and really think about if you're willing to put in the work to get better, right, Pete? Because, I mean, if they're not willing to take a hard look and say, okay, I want to get from that 25 to 10, um, but, you know, I I don't know what my commitment level is going to be, then you're really talking nonsense, in my opinion. What do you think?
3: Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know,
2: And, you know, just looking at a 25 to a 10, too,
3: going back to the scorecard and explaining to them, you know, to go from 25 to 10, you know, these particular shots are, that, that you're playing are going to have to improve, you know, and then if mm-hmm. you're going to be a 10, you know, there's going to be so many holes that if you miss the green, you got to get it up and down. It's paramount. out. You have to get this up and down. Yep. How many times have you done that as 25? Well, not very often. I so, said, well, you know, those are things you have to look at. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, that it, it's sometimes tough to, to swallow that, that pill, I guess. to to accept the fact that, you know, you're going to have to practice if you really want to get better. Um, It just doesn't happen overnight. Golf is one of the most unique games in the world that, you know, you have to put the time in in order to get Mm -hmm. to where you want to to be. And, you know, I just don't think they, they understand how much time that takes. And if they're not willing to put that time in, then you have to accept where you are. But even with that, okay, accept the level you're at, but let's go out and show you how to best play with that level. Cause there's some things out on the golf course that you can do that are going to make you better than where you are now, but you have to learn how to play within what you have. And you also have to remember too, your handicap is when you play your best rounds, it's not your worst rounds. It's the average right. of your best rounds, you know? So, right. you know, some, they get out there and they don't quite shoot their handicap on a day. I said, well, wait a minute, you only one off it. That's pretty good. That's like me shooting one over. That's pretty good.
2: Right. You know, yep.
3: that's what you, yep. those are your best rounds. You know, so you got to understand, you know, what that handicap means too. But yeah, I I, I think you've nailed it on the head. I mean, the, the expectation is just over the moon, and and you you have to bring that to some reality. You know, there's just you got to be realistic in what you're doing.
2: You know, and and I think too, for a lot of players, um, as we've said, they're, they focus on the physical part of their game, and really, there's a lot of uh, emotional. Uh, invested in, in how you play as well. If uh, And you bring a lot of anxiety. I, I mean, I see people coming all the time, bring a lot of anxiety to the golf course because they're thinking about the past. They're thinking about bad shots before. And, you know, something else I wanted to add uh, here, too, that really should be mentioned is, you know, with today's technology, there are so many great apps and process out there that allow you to actually track and monitor various different shots. So, for instance, your stats, you can now uh, monitor that while you're playing uh, with really doing very little. Most of them now have uh, devices in that that uh, either attach to the golf club or what have you um, and will actually monitor uh, certain things. So now at the end of your round, you've got this nice uh, digital imprint, if you will, of how your round went, how many putts you made, how many times, you know, how many greens in regulation. So now you can go back and as you said a moment ago with that 25 to, to 10 handicap, they're trying to inch down there. Now in in real time, you can see what area specifically that you're struggling with. If, if you're, you know, if you're um, three-putting a lot of your greens, there's a, a way you could probably save many strokes. By working on your putting, and no I, I, you know, and so with a lot of these apps that are available out there now, you can gather that information. And the majority of them—not I won't say all of them—but the majority of them now take it a step further. And you can actually, if you're working with a coach or, or a teacher professional, um, they can actually get access to that information in real time as well. So that the next time you, uh, you know, get together with them uh, for your next lesson. You can review some of that. They've already got it. They can actually, more often than not, they probably already reviewed You can send them a quick message and say, hey, you know, I just played this Saturday. Here's my, you know, you've got my stats. When we get together next Tuesday, we can talk about my round. And most coaches are going to do that because they want to see where you're flailing. Because you look pretty good when you're with them on the lesson tee, but then when you're going off playing by yourself, it's like everything's gone out the wind. So the other thing, too, is, you know, Pete, is every round is a chance to elevate your game. Uh, so certainly don't expect greatness each time you play because um, it's not going to happen. Uh, you can certainly play well and you have opportunities to, to score well and, and do well, but there's going to be some ups and downs, as we've said. Uh, unrealistic expectations are also uh, a golfer's worst enemy, and and that's really what we're talking about here. Um, we've seen this so many times uh, you know, with students throughout the year that they just come out there each season. I know it's going to happen again this season. They're all going to come out and they're going to get up to the range. They're going to hit some good balls after they warm up for a little bit and they're going to get up to the golf course and it's going to fall apart and they're not going to understand why. But meanwhile, for the last several months, they've been sitting, you know, in the lazy boy chair or on the couch, watching something else or doing some other activity. Um, and they haven't put any effort into the game and they can't figure out why they're, they haven't improved from last year because last year they finished pretty good. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You're
3: absolutely right. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's hard sometimes I think, um, you know, especially early on when they, when they first coming out because they they haven't done a whole lot. Um, and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, they, they come out of the gate and they play pretty well. Um, but you know, yeah. it, it, it doesn't last. Uh, and I usually say, well, it doesn't last because now you start thinking about it, and now now it all right. goes to south and sideways. <laughs> um, but you have to think about the right things, you know. Because, um, you know, in, in talking about just hitting golf balls, you know, I, I was talking to some of my, my young juniors who were getting pretty good, and they said, well, what's the difference between, you know, our game and your game? And I said, quite honestly, about three million balls. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not being – I'm not being crazy here. I said, you know, when I was a kid your age, I mean, you see these baskets, the largest basket, I used to hit six of those a day. Yep. You know, and they're like, you got to be kidding me. I said, no. I mean, I wanted to be the best player I could be, so I figured I better practice because that's the only way I was going to get there. I had to make sure that everything I did on the golf course was second nature. So I didn't have to mm-hmm. think about it. So I had to pound enough balls so I didn't have to think about what I was doing anymore. And so I think that's where – I think that the misconnect sometimes is they don't realize just how much time they have to put into it. Um, you know, cause some of the other sports, team sports they play, they can get pretty good, but you know, somebody else can make an error and you score. Well, that doesn't yeah. happen in golf. You make an error that, oops, you, it's your own fault. So it's, a, it's a little bit different scenario to put them in, but you know, I think you're right. I, it's just, it it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to do sometimes, but I think overall, with, with just the, the so small percentage of players that can really break 80 in this game, um, they just have to really sit back and, and think, you know, where are you? What are you doing? And then if they can, if they can evaluate, you know, their own individual games and then be able to see why and where, you know, they're going off on the scoring. I, I think that'll help ease it a little bit, but I think it'll also help them to understand where they have to practice.
2: You know, and on the other side of the spectrum, uh, Pete, is we see also a lot of golfers who do play a lot of golf, who do practice a lot, uh, and still don't seem to improve and, um, again, get frustrated. They can't understand why they're not getting better. And I look at what they're doing, and they're practicing uh, all of the mistakes. They're not, you know, they're practicing those same mistakes. So you can practice them 100 times, um, but you're not going to improve until you isolate what the problems are. If it's a, if it's a, an impact, you know, if the, if the club face is not squaring up an impact, you know, then we have to take a look at that. Um, you know, if you're coming out of posture all the time, then we have to take a look at that. There's a variety of different things, as you said, cause and effect. And I've seen people that go through all season long, and they'll just play and play and play and play, and they can fudge it a little bit, but they never really truly improve. And with as much practice and playing. Yeah, they should be out in the Champions Tour, um, but they're practicing all the wrong things, and they're not really practicing with the purpose. They're just out there practicing, and they're playing too, which is good. And some of them can, you know, finagle, uh, you know, a, a bad shot here and there, or they can, you know, come out of the the woods uh, a little easier because they haven't practicing that. But there's still a lot of mistakes that they're making throughout their golf swing. Uh, or their game in general, that could be improved upon. So, I mean, those types, we want to refocus, uh, not necessarily change everything, but find the areas that they're working on uh, or that they're they're utilizing that are not working for them, and let's remove them. Let's f- replace it with something that's going to give them a better opportunity. Your final thoughts on that? Uh, I think you
3: just hit the nail right on the head. That's exactly it. You know, you can, it, you can... You have to practice the right way, um, and, mm-hmm. and as I said before, you have to work towards correct. But you, but you got to understand where that is, and most people don't understand where it is. But it's not only in, mm-hmm. in in a correct impact, but it's also in in the correct application of shots. You know, around the green. You know, what type of shots are you trying to hit? And I like to get them around the greens, and, and right before they even hit, I said, "What are you trying to do here?" And they said, "What do you mean?" So what are you trying to do? What type of shot are you trying to hit? Ex- explain to me what your ball should do. If if your ball could talk to me, what's it going to tell me? It's going to do to go to the hole. And then they're like, huh, I never thought of it that way. I said,
0: well, right. you got
3: to start to picture what you're doing. So that that becomes a more positive way to practice, you know. So you can you can look at what shots are going on and and understand, you know, there's a variety of things you can do. But I think also too, it, it boils down to um, you know, just, just bad practice habits. Yes. Um, you know, if uh, I'm really good with my short club, so I'm going to spend the whole time hitting those. Well, it's not going to do you any good. You know, if, if there's a club in your bag that doesn't work, get it out and let's figure out why it doesn't work. You know, and mm-hmm. in some cases, let's just take that club out because that club is never going to work. You know, um, you know, just based on, you know, what you're doing, there's some as I've always said, there's a lot of clubs that are difficult to hit and some are more difficult than others. You know, so you can avoid it that way too. But,
2: you know, I yeah, think it's and, it's it's pro- yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say and replace and replace it with something that does work. You know, you've got 14 yeah, clubs absolutely. in the bag. So, you know, if if you know, uh, a 3, 4, or 5 iron isn't working for you, replace it with something replace those clubs with something that does, maybe some hybrids, uh or yeah. maybe throw an extra wedge in there, you know. Uh, you know, throw a gap wedge in if you don't have a gap wedge. You know, fill, fill it, you know, you can use those 14 clubs if need be, but find clubs that are going to benefit you and remove clubs that are not. If you're if you're not confident, if you're not a, an accomplished player, then having clubs in, in your bag that are hard to hit and, or difficult to hit makes no sense just because it's part of the set. Make a new set, and that's right. where your pro can well, help you.
3: Right, and I think, too, you know, where they're really where they really need to gap the the yardages for their game are from six iron on down to the wedges, not the other way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'd
3: be better off getting more wedges in their bag to play more shots around the green than, you know, a three and a five would. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't fit many three woods anymore because, you know, for, for a lot of the amateur players, they're just too hard to hit, you know, yeah. off the fairways. And, you know, so they'd be better off going driver, going hybrids, and then working on down and putting more wedges in their bag, they're going to play better that way. Yeah, for sure. Yes, you're yeah. absolutely right. You know, there are some clubs in there. You know, get them out of there. They're just too hard to hit. You know, some some yep. people would yep. be better off. You know, using a 15 degree lofty club to drive with.
2: So yep. easier. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Get it in fairway, and it's all about position. And again, you can avoid the trouble by not focusing on the trouble and focusing on where do you want the ball to go. And, again, even if you're not a great player, even if you're a slicer of the ball, if you want the ball to be in the fairway, then compensate by aiming appropriately, starting on the right-hand side. If you're a slicer of the ball, on the right-hand tee box, and aim towards the left so that it'll slice slice or fade back into the fairway. Give yourself a bigger target um, to shoot for instead of doing the other way around and trying to... And that's and again, we'll work on those problems when it's appropriate. But you're out playing today, so let's not work on those things now. Let's play with what you've got. And there's a lot of things that you can do um, to make it a more enjoyable round. And that's really what it's all about. I think when people start having more fun, they're more apt to want to get involved and, and practice uh, appropriately. When they're not having fun, they're frustrated. And that's why you see people hanging their clubs up after a short period of time because they just... They get frustrated, but it's because they don't stop to think um, that there's a better way to do things. Um, Pete, I want to thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, regrettably, uh, James uh, did send me a message. He wasn't able to make it. He was running a little bit late uh, from the course and had a few uh, personal things he needed to take care of, so he just sends his apologies. Okay. But I think uh, yeah. I think you and I did a good job.
3: I think we did. That's it's, just, it's uh we might have to go on the road. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh,
2: no. Well, I am, no, I am. I am actually that, tomorrow morning to Pinehurst. So. yeah,
3: yeah. Like I said, I'm heading to Dallas next week too. So we're we're both going to be out out and about. But um, no, I think it's. Um, it, I, I think it was a, a great topic of conversation tonight. I think you know, people listening would, would get a lot out of it for sure.
2: Yeah, I think so. It's just, and again, it's it, you know, we want the expectations to be realistic. That's really what the whole conversation is about. I mean there are a lot of different vari- uh, uh, factors that we talked about, but really ultimately that's what we're, we're saying is be realistic. If you're struggling with parts of your game that need to be worked on, then pick the appropriate time to work on that with your, with your uh, teacher professional or your coach, uh, depending on the level that you're playing. Uh, but be realistic. If you're not playing very much golf, you're playing a couple times a year, uh, or even just you know once a month, um, you know don 't expect to move mountains you 've got to put the effort in and there 's lots of ways with today 's technology and things that you can do that you don 't have to spend an hour out of the range there 's a lot of things that you can do um, i mean if not if this pandemic did nothing for us, it taught us that when you get really really bored, you can be creative, so you yeah, know absolutely. there were a lot of people in their backyards that had not big backyards, but they found ways of working on their golf game. And I saw, I talked about this last week uh, with uh, my guest, uh, saw a lot of people putting up videos, uh, you know, so um, it can be done. You just have to put the yep. effort in. Pete, I want to thank of you for joining me tonight in Coach's Corner, and, and I'm going to give you a chance to reach out and let the folks know how they can best uh, reach out to you. You
3: bet. Thanks again, Ted. It's always a pleasure to be on and, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a great platform that you have and it's helping a bunch of golfers. So, um, I, I'm always, always thrilled to be on, but they can reach me at Pete Buchanan golf.com or st. Louis golf com. Either one of those will find me and, and get the information. And as I always say, send me a note, let's start a conversation and, and let's work toward you getting your golf
2: games better. Sounds good. Pete, as always, I will see you next month here on coach's corner have a safe trip to Dallas and, uh, We'll uh, we'll see what we can come up with for the next conversation here in Coach's Corner. But thanks, my friend. You have bet. a good one and have a great weekend.
3: Are right, you too enjoy Pinehurst?
2: I will. Thanks. All right, Pete Buchanan, uh, joining me on the Coach's Corner panel again. Uh, my apologies, uh, or rather, his apologies uh, from my good friend James Kyle that he was regrettably not able to make it to the. Uh, discussion tonight but i think pete and i as i said did a, a good job all right we're going to take a quick break and then i'm going to introduce tonight's special guests they should be coming along here momentarily here's a quick message from golf tips magazine
1: the following ad is sponsored by golf tips magazine
0: are you tired of being short off the tee and what about those three putts forget about it It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple to follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to com and subscribe today.
2: All right, and don't forget, um, if you're tuning in uh, live, obviously you found us here, but uh, if you're tuning in a little bit later and you missed the first hour and you want to listen to it its entirety, you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live after the show and just scroll down to the on-demand section and you will see uh, tonight's show in its entirety at that point. And you can also... Uh, go through some of the previously aired shows and check them out as well uh, in the on-demand section. Uh, just a quick program note, uh, as most of you uh, follow the show, know that I also do another show Tuesday mornings called The Women of Golf uh, with my good friend and co-host, uh, LPGA professional and Legends Tour player, Cindy Miller. Uh, next Tuesday, because I am, uh, as I uh, mentioned a couple times, going to be in Pinehurst this weekend and won't be coming back until next week. There will not be a Tuesday show uh, next week. Uh, but my regular Thursday show uh, will be uh, here on Golf Talk Live. So I will be doing a show next Thursday um, when I come home, but the Tuesday show will be canceled and will be picked up the following week, which I believe is the 17th, uh, is the Tuesday. So um, just keep that uh, in mind, uh, but you can also go to that uh, link. It's blogtalkradio.com forward slash womenofgolf, and you can go there and uh, scroll down to the On Demand section and listen to the previously aired uh, uh, programs as well in their entirety there, all the recorded versions are there, so you can do that uh, while you wait for us to come back live. All right, I'm excited to be joined uh, by tonight's special guest, and again, a, a quick program note uh, that uh, John uh, Dioulis was not, uh, the president of golf uh, trainingage.com was not able to uh, join us tonight, but uh, not to worry, I've got a couple of great guests that are going to be coming on. First up is Dane Wyron, uh, he's the general manager and head of new products. Is uh, going to be joining us as well as Director of Marketing and Social Media for GolfTrainingAids.com, Emily Faulkner. So let me welcome both of them to the show, and we'll uh, have a conversation about Golf Training Aids. Good evening, guys, and Hello. welcome to Golf Talk Live. Hey, hey how, how, you how you doing? doing? <laughs> I'm doing very well. Uh, Emily and Dane, thank you very much for uh, for joining me on the show. And uh, if you don't mind, Dane. I'm going to just start with you briefly, and then uh, Emily, I'm going to. Uh, bring you in as well so just um, hang tight so Dane what I wanted to do first off is give both of you an opportunity to just talk about what drew you to golf to begin with before we get into the golf training aids and and the business side of things um, what was your first recollection or memory of golf
4: so I was uh, I grew up in a golf family Um, my my dad, when we moved to Florida in 1972, uh, was director of education for PGA of America. And uh, I grew up with a golf club in my hands. Um, you know, he was a uh, an avid collector and still has a, a large historical collection. And um, so golf is just something that I was around me all the time from day one. And my first memories were, um, you know, that were vivid memories were following along with my dad, and the rule was, if I could keep up, I could come. <clears throat> so, you know, um, <laughs> as a kid, I, lo- I loved just taking a – like, I would just take a club, and you hit it, and as long as – and that, that theme kind of continued on into my adult life, that he always wanted to keep the pace of play, you know, fairly mm-hmm. fairly quick. Um, but uh, wh- when I was growing up <clears throat> here – so we're here in, in, in Florida, North Palm Beach, Florida – Um, Slash Palm Beach Gardens Jupiter people kind of know that area West Palm Beach, and um, he started uh, in the in the early 70s um, a golf camp uh, maybe maybe 70 uh, 76 or maybe his mid 70s he started one of the the, actually the first international junior camp that was values based so a precursor to First Tee you know this is uh, this is down in Boca uh, at Boca Mm -hmm. West Country Club. And we would stay there. Um, We had, you know, campers uh, that would come in. We stayed in the dorms at the school and we lived golf literally from 630 in the morning. We'd get up and run or swim. And then we would go and we would do intramural sports. We would do golf all day. We would end the night by watching films and taking tests and, you know, talking about golf with all the campers and the staff that they brought in were, uh, you know, phenomenal instructors. I mean, world-class instructors, um, you know, Charlie Epps, Mm -hmm. uh, Craig Shankland, um, a lot of guys that that came in, uh, even internationally, Um, and it was a great experience, so that's how I really got, I I feel like that was my introduction to golf, was with the PGA Junior Golf Academy in the 70s, and I lived golf for a whole summer, eight weeks. Um, It was great. That was my introduction, and and i have to just say one comment about that 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 led forward in case you know we don't we don't cover it later but but i ended up coaching at first tee as a first tee coach for you know four years four and a half years or so um mainly because i enjoyed my experience as a camper so much and had so much fun right. as a junior player at camp that i wanted to be able to uh, impart that to some of you know the the, the players and participants at First Tee was just to share the joy and the fun of going out and playing.
2: Yeah, and it, and it really boils down to well said. You know, that's what we want the experience to be in golf is fun. We want everybody to exactly. get out there and enjoy themselves. Um, you know, whether they you know, or slicing it in the trees sometimes. I mean, that's going to happen to even the best of us. Occasionally, we're going to hit some bad shots. But ultimately, we want them to have fun. And we're going to talk about some things that hopefully will help them make them a little bit better. Um, Emily, I want to go to you. Now, I'm obviously, and we can talk a little bit about that as we go along. Uh, obviously, you played uh, Division I collegiate golf and uh, had a successful career there. But let's dial it back a few years prior to that and go way back to your first memories of golf.
1: Yes, yeah, so I am actually from South Florida originally, and I have played golf since I was three years old, so my family uh, pretty much born and uh, raised up in uh, Palm Beach, Jupiter, which everyone knows is, you know, golfer's paradise, and my family lived on the golf course, and my dad would take me out, and I absolutely loved it. I got involved in junior camps. I would play every single day. But since I could remember, probably around three years old, I've played and started playing tournaments about age five and travelling with my parents and little I have a couple little sisters too and they got involved in the game so it was like a whole uh, family dynamic of us traveling and I just loved all the people I got to meet and so I've I've played for many years but I love the game. And everything is yeah, and you were.
2: Right, and as I mentioned, you were a Division One collegiate uh, golfer at uh, Florida Atlantic University is where you played. Yes. Yeah. And you had a successful junior career, which included twice earning the South Florida P J Player of the Year honors. So you were quite an yes, accomplished player. And, um, and, and it's interesting because at, before you came on, I was talking about my Tuesday show, and we, uh, the Women of Golf, and we, we talked to a lot of the young up-and-comers on the Epson Tour, which formerly was the Smetra Tour, um, okay. And you know many of them have gone through a similar uh experience as you is where they 've started very young and then they got into collegiate and now they 're you know battling it out on on the bigger tours trying to uh, uh to play against some of the best in the world and they all have a very similar story to yours that they grew up in, around the game, whether it was their dad or or <coughs> other family members that got into them um, but what 's interesting is you not only played golf but now you're sort of in the business side of golf and, and taking it a step further. Um, you obviously, we're going to talk about that here in just a few moments but um, Dane, I want to come back to you real quick and talk about Golf Training Aids. Who founded Golf Training Aids? What was the original concept? Um, I know the answer but I want you to share it with the audience. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, uh again when I say I grew up in a golf family, I I'm, I'm really talking about my dad. Um uh my uh my dad's uh Dr. Gary Wyron. He uh he wrote the PGA teaching manual which was uh, used to train uh golf pros, uh you know, to become golf pros that was the, the the standard and and uh the standard for PGA of America at the time. But going back to when we moved here, um you know, he he uh he was sort of a uh, he was ahead of his time um, on a lot of things. Uh, he has you know these drawings for the original PGA Learning Center, the original concepts for that. Um, a lot of people don't know that he uh, created the um, you know the the continuing education credits that are mandated by the PGA. Uh, he wanted people to continue their education, and that wasn't part of becoming, you know, being, maintaining your status as a pro at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, He helped create the Herb Grafis Award. He helped uh, create the the Bill Strasbaugh Award. He he was involved in a lot of things, the rules, uh, the rules committees, and the fact that uh, uh, he he helped establish those, uh, the the training uh, sessions for those. Anyway, he did did a lot of things as a a pioneer um, in in the 70s. And early 80s, um, again ahead of his time on a lot of things, but um, uh, he founded the company. And the way the way that the company actually started was he was tasked by the PGA of America in the 70s to go figure out how do pros teach, because again, this is pre-fax, you know, pre really pre-anything, we a lot of mail and some phone calls and stuff, and he would travel to different sections, the Gateway section, the Met section, Pacific Northwest section, uh, you know, and and find out what pros were saying and how they were teaching, and then uh, reported back to the PGA, and uh, um, then, you know, as Director of Education and then later Director of Research and Learning, he sort of tried to bring all this together, and he was the one that tried to standardize how we talk about golf instruction, um, and along mm-hmm. the way, while he was talking to different teachers, he, one of the things that he found nearly universally was that the better teachers tended to use products that were useful in uh, helping students understand uh, a concept, a, a swing concept, and, and to, to, to understand a feel. So whether it was mm-hmm. position you know, at the top of the swing, whether it was position at impact, whether it was hip, hip action, whatever it was, they found that they were all using tools of some kind to provide feedback to the players. So the players, when they right. were doing something, they got feedback if they were doing it right or if they weren't. And so the way that the company started was really the pros would come up and, and show my dad uh, the product that they used mm-hmm. to fix Mrs. Jones's overswing or to six bills sliced or whatever and 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 they would show him and he would go to the next section and he would show, say hey if you want to get creative in your teaching here's some ideas and things you can use to make teaching faster easier more effective and make it more fun when you're out you know teaching because everybody wants to get better faster um, and pros would call us and that uh, carried on into the early 80s and finally in 1984 we actually incorporated uh, as it, as it formalized the company and incorporated in 1984 to be the forum for the place where pros get their golf training aids. That's how it all started.
2: Yeah, and and it's interesting because you're exactly right. I mean, as a as a teacher professional, you have sort of the tools of the trade, if you will, and you want to be able to articulate. Sometimes words are not enough. Sometimes. Um, the players uh, and i 'm talking about the amateur students and players you know need some se- sort of either a visual feedback or a feel um, to help them understand mm-hmm. certain parts of the golf swing so training aids have become very, very useful over the years, and there 's been a variety of them and there 's i mean thousands upon thousands of them um, i mean if you I think if they probably circle the globe if you stack them end to end, how many have come out over mm-hmm. the years um, but they 've all played a uh, you know, a, a useful purpose in for a variety of different parts of the game. So, Emily, this brings me to you. As as a serious golfer, I would certainly imagine prior to getting involved with GolfTrainingAids.com that you used an, a, a variety of training aids yourself to help your game. So, what do you? Yeah. What did you look for? Okay, what did you look for when selecting a product for you to use personally?
1: So, when I was growing up, I probably started using training aids probably around age six seven and i've used plenty over the years but some of my favorites that we still carry and i use for years still to this day use when i'm practicing is the impact bag you know founded by mm-hmm. gary that's gary and love that one um the power swing fan the power swing fan i actually used probably when i was um competing at my highest level and i won i won and played for the um u.s world cup representing the united states and it helps me gain thirty yards just from mm-hmm. warming up and practicing with it every day so i've sworn by training aids it's, you know i love being able to share and share on my platform too about how much they can help different players at all levels
2: yeah and and that's important and, and i want to just ask a follow-up uh... emily if i can with you is when I look at a lot of amateur players, I mean, many of them have tried a lot of training aids, but I don't think they fully sometimes fully understand um, the benefits. They look at it and say, okay, well, i got to swing this, and they don't really go through the process. And, and the reason why I bring this up is this past December, um, I attended the Q series, uh, the final stages of it, and witnessed many of the girls uh, util- utilizing a lot of different training aids. And it was like a ritual. Every morning they'd get up there and they'd get on the practice tee uh, before their rounds. And they would, whether it be on the putting surface or it be something up on the actual range when they are hitting balls. Um, but they were very methodical about what they do. I think sometimes a lot of um, amateurs go out and they purchase these training aids and they don't really fully under, uh, understand or grasp the purpose or understand how to use them correctly. So What is it that we can do as professionals? I mean, we can obviously show them in that, but is there something that we should be doing as an industry, I guess is a better way to put it, to help them understand the benefits? Like you mentioned the the impact bag. I mean, that's been around for a long, long time. A lot of teaching pros have used that, and it's very effective for feedback and also uh, for practicing. But is there something that we can do to help people understand the benefits of of, a training aid and how to best get use out of it?
1: Yes, I think that's something a uh, golf training age is definitely focused on, as a company. Even over the last year, since since I started working for the company, is I know growing up and uh, just you know when I hear about a certain training age, I'll look at it and not have any idea what to do with it. I'll you know someone will be like, okay, this will help you. You you, you may be able to hit farther, but you won't know how to set right. it up. You might really not grasp the whole you know concept of why you should be playing and practicing with this training aid but i think something we focused on and i think it's really helped is you know creating a lot of different content and videos mm-hmm. and pictures to show different players and even pros you know have been sharing different photos and videos but something like i focus on doing is creating 10 second videos just to, oh, here's the training aid i'm setting it up here's what you do or this is how many times mm-hmm. you should to swing or putt with it a day, and this is what's going to happen. I think that's something you know that's really important. A lot of players too are visual um, players, mm-hmm. and that's something you know I've always uh, relied on. I've worked with you know probably over the years you know numerous numerous pros, teaching pros. But no matter what, I was always <laughs> a visual learner, and I always relied mm-hmm. on training aids really me to that next level so I think that's something you know to have that content and really be able to explain um, through that is very important and I think a lot of pros haven't been able to do that or at least share that with the different players but I think that's very helpful right,
2: right exactly and I, I'm like you I'm a visual person as well and you know you, you know you can explain something to me over the phone until the cows come home um, but if mm-hmm. I can't see it in an action it's it's difficult sometimes for me. Not I mean, as I've gotten a little bit older, um it comes a little easier. But when I was younger, you know, it was difficult. If somebody said, Well, you know, do this, do that and if I couldn't see it in my mind's eye, I'd have a hard time following. Uh and then once they showed me it's like, Ah, oh, okay, now I get it. Um Dane, I wanna come back to you and, and talk about um the overall vision of, of the company. Obviously it's not just about selling training aids. Uh, as Emily pointed out, it's also about showing them how to use them effectively in that. Is your vision today still the same, or has it changed?
4: Yeah, um, I think it, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it, it touches on a point that's always been, I feel, a weakness in the training age industry and one that we're addressing. Um, and so going back to, you know, talking about um, the use of the products um, I'll just give you, you know, two examples that, I'm, that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we sell a product called the, the Pressure Board. It's uh, by Ted mm-hmm. Sheftik. And Ted Sheftick's mm-hmm. Pressure Board um, is designed to try and help players primarily like with irons. They're trying to, when they come into impact get their weight left, you know? And if you've watched any yep. videos from like Martin Chuck or, you know, Eric Caborno mm-hmm. or any of these guys that are, that are teaching and, and, and great online instruction, you're going to find that that's one of the differences that better players have in order to have good impact conditions and, and compress the ball. Well, is they're more left at impact than most amateurs and their divot patterns are more right. you know consistent and precise. Um, so the pressure board, if you were to, it's essentially a, a teeter-totter board. So imagine a piece of plywood mm-hmm. with a, 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 a board, you know, a piece of wood in the middle, and then it rocks back and forth slightly so that you know right. when you're going to go come into impact, you press the board left, and then you, you come in and, and, and hit your shot. That's a great example where if somebody just bought that and got it, they'd stand on it, they'd rock back and forth a few times and go, eh, don't get it. Or they'd say, okay, but... But now what? Or what am I supposed to really be feeling? What's supposed to happen? When's it supposed to happen? And so, um, you know, Ted and his son Mark have done a, a great job with when you when you buy a pressure board, you get access and you watch all these videos of them walking you through the process of what the problem is, um, what the recommended, uh, you know, procedure is for using the product and how you should, uh, what you should feel and how you should use it over you know, some period of time. So it could be week one, week two. And then and then with training aids, we were talking about feel. Uh, I remember mm-hmm. uh, Bruce Fleischer used to come in, and he always loved the swing guys. Because he'd, he'd say, you know, I get to the top of my backswing, and it always felt like I was a little laid off, or it always felt like I was... And the problem was, you in order to get the same feel every single time, it's going to change... The way it feels now is going to change to the way it feels at some future point. So training aids will give you a precise way to know where am I, like for real, like where, where am I at the top of my backswing. And so uh, the feel part is really important. The training part is really important. And uh, that brings me to the other product, which is one that we're launching um, with a long drive champion, Maurice Allen. He's endorsing mm-hmm. a product that we have called the, the Power Swing Fan. And that is uh, something that Emily mentioned before that added, you know, distance to her, uh, her drives and everything. And it's one of those ones where, yes, if you just, you know, if you swing it, you'll improve, you, you get better kinematics, you get better strength and sequencing and less, you know, you're, you're, you're better better at impact and you're not going to throw it as much. But with Maurice, he's got a whole training program. So when somebody gets a power swing fan, they also get Maurice's training program. So so when you ask, um, you know, what are we doing, like, for the industry part and has our vision changed, I would say yes, mm-hmm. because our focus used to be primarily we worked with golf pros because they were the ones that really just understood and, and got the products. But now with such good instruction online and so much access um, to people that can share content both on social media and on YouTube, there's so much, there's so much more instructional content available which is really helping, I think, the training aids industry overall because now people have a, mm-hmm. a better sense of what they should be doing with the products, and we certainly want to give them, um, you know, with uh, with every purchase, a program, a process, what to do when they get it, that kind of thing. That's definitely part of our vision going forward.
2: Yeah, and, and I think <clears throat> it, that's a great lead-in, uh, Dane. Thank you, because I'm going to ask uh, Emily, uh, being our social media expert here. You know, this is – Emily has mm-hmm. been a, a – really has become a big deal for companies now is is the utilization of social media in order to get their messages across. So as a social media influencer, um, you've got you know close to 350,000 followers on Instagram uh, and I'm sure uh, others on, on other platforms as well. But um, what have you found works best when promoting the products? Is it just a matter of, hey, let me just show you how it's going to work? Um, utilizing the social media, because I know you're doing that for golf training aids now, Um, what have you found works for you uh, that maybe some of the listeners, that maybe golf pros tune into the show as well as opposed to just, you know, our amateur golfers, um, what is it they could do by utilizing social media that could help get their message across that you found works for you uh, with golf training aids?
1: Yes, of course. I think something that I've definitely found, and just showing, you know, over the years how much things have changed over on social media. I think a lot of people were uh, definitely checked out YouTube a lot and there's, you know, very long videos explaining different trading aids. But with social media and how things have changed, it's a lot more focused on fun, you know, exciting videos to watch, 15 seconds, just explaining how to use it, just how easy a lot of these training aids are and really getting people to, um, you know, really want to pay attention to your videos and also too something that we focused on is using different influencers and different pros with large followings. And we always set them up with different discount codes and links mm-hmm. to make it really easy to just go to our website. And a lot of different companies do that as well. And I've definitely found that's very useful and really easy for different um, people to check out, check out. Our
2: Right and would you agree too Emily that I think what people are looking for is is engagement it's not just a matter of watching it but they want to feel like there's a way that they can engage with the social media net platform or the company that that's representing uh on the platform so i think it's just important not just to throw a bunch of videos up but also have them engaging somehow would you, would you agree with that
1: Exactly we have a ambassador program and I set right. them up with all the codes and everything. And I try to talk to a lot of the different uh, people on the team almost every single day just so they feel engaged and they feel like they're part of something, which I think is very important. Instead of, I see it all the time with different companies. And, you know, they'll send over a link. Oh, you can join our ambassador program. Try to promote, you know, the, our company. But really, they'll never check back in with people after that. So i think that's something that's very Mm. important Uh, we have a pro program and we talk to them all the time you know we send emails to just just those pros and they definitely feel like they're part of something which i think is very important
2: yeah i think yeah i think if you're coming out on social media and you're you know representing a a brand or or a a number of brands because really in your case with golf training aids um it's not just the company that you're representing but companies within the company um, that are uh, presenting their products and that uh, on golf training aids. So you want to make sure that, you know, that they're getting represented, you know, uh, in a way that is engaging to the audience and people are going to say, Hey, you know, that, that, looks like a great product. I'm going to go to their website, golftrainingaids.com, And I'm going to purchase that because it looks like it's going to be something that I need. So the engagement is good, not just for the buyer, but also for the companies that have their products on golftrainingaids.com. Dane, I want to come back to you because this is a question I think that I'm sure a lot of people would want to know. You have a variety of, I don't know how many products, but I know you've got a lot of products on the website and you're continually uh, going to be adding to it and that. But how do you vet? Because, I mean, as I mentioned very early on, there are a lot of training aids uh, Mm. out there and products that, that help the golfer... Uh, you know, isolate areas of the swing. Do you vet a lot of the products? If somebody comes to you tomorrow and says, okay, we've got a great product, we'd like to partner up with you guys and have it on the site and so on and so forth, um, do you go through a process to vet them to make sure that you're representing the highest quality that's available out there?
4: Sure, and I, uh, you said a key word there, um, and I, I think that brings us into um, when you uh, the new... Uh, direction and and specifically the new ownership uh, of the company mm-hmm. i I know originally you were going to be talking to uh, John Di- diolis and uh, uh john uh, you know was the one who identified our company as the company that had um, a great opportunity uh for for growth uh from the sense that we were essentially a mom and pop you know a family business mm-hmm. um that had been in business we've been in business for 36 years now we incorporated in 1984 so 36 30 is coming up on 37 years uh, i've been there 31 years and you know i was very comfortable with with my role um you know being a, a small business owner and and selling you know to the to dog and people and and whoever but but really what what john brought um and and saw was he brought a, a new, I guess, mindset for how we were going to do things, which is um, he's, I don't want to say a perfectionist, perfectionist <laughs> but he likes things done the right mm. way. And he knows he has right. a, a clear vision for what he wants out of the company and what this company can do and what it can bring to the golf, uh, to the golfing you know public and, and the market. Um, and so quality the quality part of it is um, he wants to make things easy for the customer, He wants to have products available. He wants to have it a good experience. And so part of what I've seen in this transition period, you know, over the last seven months is his commitment to having good partnerships with good vendors, right? So the -hmm. products themselves, um, like we're just going to be working with uh, launching a new uh, larger golf net uh, with the company, Spornia. And uh, they've been a Mm -hmm. a great partner for us. Um, The whole – the whole uh starting point for any of these products is the quality of the product. Because you can't have a product that's gonna sell long term. You can have a product that can sell for three to six months, but you can't have a sustainable product that's gonna sell long term and you can't have a brand that's gonna last long gonna be long term if you don't have the quality. So Spornia was a good right. example where their focus is, you know. We need, you know, this is what we we're looking for. This is what we need. We want to pre- pre- uh, produce a good quality golf net, and we want to make the best one, and that's what's going to make us, uh, that's what's going to make, uh, create the demand is the quality. Um, Divot Board would be another great uh, partner that we have. Um, the Divot Board mm-hmm. is, uh, that's one of those ones where that vendor is such a key part of what we do because he stands behind the product. If there's ever any issue, which is very rare, if there's ever any issue, any problem, it's immediate. Okay, you know, he's, we, he had one thing where, you know, thing where if there was some issue, he'd, he'd send two out to the person just to make sure that everybody's happy and people love the product. Um, so things like that, I think that's been a really key part of our growth and, 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 and uh, where we're going is to have good partnerships with good vendors um, and then all the, all the rest of it as far as vetting the products. Um, yes, absolutely. It's a competitive marketplace. But, you know, we know how to identify what products are going to be, um, you know, cost effective, uh, durable, if they're going to be, uh, you know, market if people. One of, the, one of the key metrics, this is overlooked by a lot of people, but when I, one I always keep in mind is how likely are they to actually be used by the player, right? It doesn't right. do anyone any good for them to be in a closet somewhere, um, but right. uh, again, going back to the power fans, one of the reasons people like it is because it just sits there and you could be watching TV or walking in the house. You're, you're going to pick it up and swing it. So divot board is another one, like throw it down, practice in your house. So we're, we're a fan of products that you can use at home and in the office. But, mm-hmm. but again, um, the, 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 the quality, the like, but the likelihood of use is, uh, really a key thing uh, for us because that, that, that's what's going to motivate people to practice. And that's what ultimately is going to help uh help them with their game
2: yeah and and emily i want to sort of play off of what dane just said because you know as we've all gone through this been going through this pandemic now for a couple of years a lot of people were you know forced to stay at home and you know had the excuse well i couldn't get out to the golf course in, in certain areas of the country and they didn't know what to do and how to you know to be involved with their game so training aids are really a great opportunity but as as dane said you know they're sitting in a closet or You know, so they need to be effective products. So what I want to ask you is, um, I think this is a, a given what we've just gone through and the fact that a lot of people, their time is very precious to them. They don't always have a chance to go out to the golf course. So do you see as time goes on, maybe showing some of these products more at home so that for people that may be busy executives that don't have a lot of time to get to the golf course, showing and utilizing certain products they can do right at home what are your what are your thoughts of, Emily?
1: Of course, yes, unfortunately, with everything with the pandemic, the last few or year, few years, you know things have changed for people's lives. A lot of golf courses are closed, even in South Florida, where think you know people thought things were a lot better, but even there's a time things are closed and I was actually in college at Alabama, everything was closed, and I was putting on my- uh putting mat every single day and different using different training aids that. I could use in my backyard or right inside. And I think the pandemic, as unfortunate it was, and, you know, the time for everyone, I think it got a lot more people involved in the game that wouldn't have played Mm -hmm. golf before. And it also allowed a lot more people to use training aids, use different practice tools inside and at home, different nets that they wouldn't be using before. And I think something, too, that (laughs) – You know, it really allowed people that didn't have a lot of time um, before, because even growing up, I, you know, on days I couldn't get to the course or days I was Mm -hmm. at at school all day, I would put aside 30 minutes. I would time myself or have my parents time me and be like, okay, I'm going to practice this six-foot putt or eight-foot putt for 30 minutes. And I would do that all the time, or I would swing my power swing fan 100 times that day. So I think those training aids that you're able to use at home, no matter how busy you are with work or school, a lot of different college players, I think that is able to uh, really allow players to get to another level and um, definitely has changed the world of golf. But I think that's where training aids definitely come in.
2: And let let me follow up one more question with you, uh, Emily, and then uh, Dan will come back to you. because you've used, and as a player, you've used (coughs) training aids yourself and that, typically what's sort of a benchmark that you use as far as the effectiveness? So, you know, again, people have very limited time. When you look at a training aid for yourself, um, what typically is the amount of time that you think is sufficient practice time is what I'm looking at, um, that they're going to get the the maximum benefit out? Now, obviously, they're going to have to do it multiple times over the a period of time but um, is 10 minutes a reasonable amount of time that they're going to benefit from using whatever the practice uh, training aid might be uh, or do they typically need to use it a little bit longer at any given session what is your recommendation from your experience
1: yes I think a little bit longer than that I don't think that would be enough time I think between 30 45 minutes a day would be okay. best and on days that you have a little bit longer time maybe so maybe an hour but at least 30 minutes a day for those training aids, I think, no doubt. I don't think 10 minutes, you know, unless it's Mm -hmm. one maybe to increase distance or, you know, a weighted club like that, then it's just different with every training aid and, uh, you know, the plans, the workout programs for sure. So it definitely varies but I think at least 30 minutes for if it's putting or, you know, something else. But I think for the ones that are more swing related and distant, mm-hmm. I would try to put a number on it and increase it, you know, as time goes on. I think that's something with Maurice Allen. And when we launch the program, it's going to be very exciting. Uh, you know, it's a week by week program. And I think people will be able to see as time goes on how much a, uh, you know,
2: distance has increased. So I think it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think... I
1: at mean, least I think
2: yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think 30 minutes is, is reasonable, obviously more depending on the, again, the, the training age. Some might require you to, to uh, commit a little bit more time to get the full benefit out of it. But um, I think at least 30 <laughs> minutes. And obviously, something is better than nothing. We would ra- rather, I think as a golf <laughs> professional, I think I would rather have students, you know, be doing something than nothing. Um, but yes, I would agree well, with that.
4: That that, that yeah. shows you Ted, that that's, that she's a, she's a player, right? Because I'm thinking, right. yeah, 15 minutes, right? But if you're a player, then, you know, it's right. like somebody that actually is, is, uh, is serious about their fitness. You don't go to the gym for a half hour, right? You go, or you go <laughs> a little <laughs> longer to get to your actual, right. And, uh, Emily <laughs> knows about that go as for 15 well.
1: 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but,
4: yeah. But absolutely, uh, you know, I think that also brings up a point that it, that's, um, that's, that's pretty important um, about the validity and why, why these, um, you know, low-tech training aids can be so effective um, because mm-hmm. if they do something specific and they do it well and they don't take a lot of time to get set up, compare that to a lot of the technology that's used today. Right, I talk. We're talking, we're talking right. about the likelihood of use. Well, how many times do people have? I won't name any names, but like, how many times they have some technology device, whether it's Bluetooth or whether it's something that's not charged, or they got to wait to boot up and then load and enter their information and then name and get the session going and add the close. Like by the time they're ready to hit balls, you know, it's 15 minutes, and their 15 minutes is up that they had for a break. Um, I, I absolutely think that you can you can have effective practice when you're talking about motor patterning. You're talking about just mm-hmm. repetition of a specific motion, and if you do that one of the things that's important about it is not just the repetitions but the repetitions over some time period right so you need that mm-hmm. that time period uh, to ingrain the uh, uh, you know the, the, the myelination of the you know your your uh, your 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 neural pathways to to create a new that muscle memory is just really a pattern that you've created, and you need time to allow your body to develop those pathways and strengthen those pathways. So, you know, if you can do 10 minutes for three weeks, you know, it's, it's certainly a lot better. And the last comment about the half hour and, and, and longer, I think that one of the great things about training aids, and we talk about people's expectations about what they're going to get a training aid uh, out of a training aid, and they expect they're going to pick it up and swing it and it's going to fix their swing.
3: Mm-hmm. What
4: the real value is, is are the insights that are gained when you let the training aid teach you right so there's this paradox yep. where if somebody doesn't have a problem and they swing it they pick up a training aid and they swing it and they don't have some issue or whatever they feel like it doesn't do anything and then if they swing it and it feels like it's doing something and it feels terrible that's because they need it so that's a paradox you you need to spend the time to let the training aid teach you what it's trying to teach you and that's where These types of conversations and the online instruction and the rest of the stuff gives people uh, some foresight into the fact that training and changes to your swing take time. They're not going to feel necessarily great, and you need to just uh, let go and and listen, you know, to what the training is teaching you, and that that part takes time.
2: Yeah, and it's a matter of unlearning some. Some bad mistakes along the way, and training is going to do that. A lot of them. I mean, we see a lot of students coming out to the lesson tee that do um, some funky looking things, and you know, once they start utilizing, I mean, we, you, you know, what I'm talking about, Emily. You know what I'm talking about. I'm sure you've seen uh,
4: oh, yeah. many, many
2: times, <laughs> right? And you know, they're they're doing all kinds of things, uh, and it's just like, you know, you're not going to get but any results.
4: It's hard. It's hard to unlearn so, something, right? So you can all you can really right. only like strengthen the new thing and that's with the training aids and the repetition you can do that you know right you can, you can absolutely do that
2: right exactly, exactly. And that, the more that's what I was you getting practice
1: at. with them, the easier be, no doubt
2: right exactly <laughs> um so dan let me ask you you guys have a new website um you built a new site um <laughs> and what what is going to be different or what is it that you're going to do obviously you're going to have products on there um, but what's sort of the the user experience going to be moving forward? Um, more Emily. <laughs> no. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Emily, I'm sorry. My pa- yes, no, I'm no. sorry. Yeah, Emily. Uh, Emily, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh
1: no, I think he just meant more. I think it's I meant be... more Emily. Like uh, no. Yes. He was, no. He no just okay. Oh okay, I, I
2: got
4: you. <laughs> oh okay. Yeah, Emily. Emily works in house full time, and she when you talk about engagement with customers and things like that, like she's on all day with people um just getting back to them and help and help. she's awesome to work with um
2: you so know thank very you.
4: helpful very yeah well it's true. and uh so so really um uh you know she's a key part of us so w- when j- with John one one of the things that we mm-hmm. have that's different from in the past is we have teams of experts right so we have Facebook person we have Emily as our marketing person we have a project manager we have an Amazon team we have you know the Instagram and TikTok like ad managers we it's all this stuff people don't realize this is a real you know business venture and and Mm -hmm. we want to be the best and have the broadest reach that we can Um, so as far as the website goes that's part of how you know we reach people and I'll I'll give my quick comment on the on the website, and then Emily, she's very involved in, in that as well, as well as Christian, one of our guys at the office. Um, and uh, and by the way, uh, anyone can reach us at Emily at GolfTrainingAids dot com, Christian at golftrainingaids.com, dot com, at dot com, and uh, and and John is in house full time, you know, uh, as the uh, director and, and and operations manager of everything that we're doing. And it's been great. It's been a great experience for me to see the the. The opportunity of, of what we can really do, um, you know, as as a as an, as an efficient company, you know, with capital to back us up, and the and, and mm-hmm. you know, we can do things, and it's been it's been great. So the site is going to be it's it's more mobile, responsive. Um, it's a nice you know clean looking, great site. We're going to have a lot more you know products and and specials and things, but definitely we want to have. We're going to be building out a section for women. For women's uh, uh, women's products, we we have a fun and games uh, section that we're developing so that we can you know it's not all about just you're fixing your swing. There's a lot there's a lot of learning that takes place in competitive games, and uh, you know that's a lot of fun too. It's one of my my favorite things to do and is have something that's fun <laughs> and helps you get better. Exactly. Um, anyway, yeah, so that's can... that's my take on the site. So we, we have some new stuff on there, but uh, definitely cleaner and faster. Emily, what do you what do you think on the site?
1: No, I think it's uh, it looks awesome. I think it definitely gives, uh, you know, a very user-friendly experience, very easy to navigate on. It's uh, made it very easy for pros to sign up on our pro program and also on our ambassador program. I think something that also looks a lot better, too, is the fun and games. And, you know, we have the TipoNet the Ma- and a couple mm-hmm. of different things, like the range finders we've added. I think you know we've just mm-hmm. focused on adding a lot more products that people have been asking for, and that w- our new website really makes it easy for all for all the um cons- you know to everyone to get on those products and yeah. order from us or wor- want to work with us. Definitely, and, bef- a lot and before for Ted,
4: everyone. when I was talking about the technology part, um, the the technology products that we do have. Uh, the, the, they're they're great partners. The reason that we have the ones that we have is because they're so quick and easy to use. You turn them on, you pair them to your phone. Um, we carry the Rap mobile launch monitor, mm-hmm. and we carry the Mevo, uh, the the basic portable Mevo, and the Mevo Plus. The, those are the ones that um, I think are a great complement. I mean, the instructors are going to use the high end systems that are you know fifteen twenty thousand dollars because that's what they do day in, day out, and they live that. You know, they live those numbers. Um, the, the technology that, that we carry, whether it's from the range finders or the launch monitors, are the kinds that are the easiest to use and, and interpret from a user standpoint. So people don't have to be scared about, you know, not understanding the numbers. Those, those two particular products are, are, are fantastic, easy to use. And, um, and then on the, on the other sections of the site, it's really mainly just a matter of fleshing out um, the sections that we have so the fitness section the fun and games like we're going to be adding products we can get into that a little bit more but we have some we have some exciting mm-hmm. products and in, in, in the works but I'll, I'll let you uh lead us into the next uh next topic
2: mm-hmm. well uh and well let's let's go right into that um i, I know john had mentioned that uh, there are going to be some new things coming uh down the pike so if you want to touch on that and Without sharing too many uh, surprises, but uh, mm-hmm. l- leave a little bit of imagination for the, uh, for the uh, listeners and obviously those that are going to visit the site uh, a, a bit later. But um, give us an idea. Uh, Dane, what, what have we got uh, coming down the pike?
4: Okay, so one of the things you have to realize is that there are, as you said, there's a lot of products out there, right? So we get approached by, by companies you know, every day, every week that, that have – you know, some new idea, uh, they've got some concept or some training aid. And, and, and one of the things that my role has changed in the company from, uh, you know, before I, was, I sort of did a lot of everything as a small, small business owner. And um, mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the luxuries that I've had um, is that I've, I've been able to be moved into a position where I'm strictly a product development manager, right? So I'm a product, new products manager and product development manager. And that's exciting for me because um, m- people don't know this, but I have um, the largest archive of golf training aids in the world by, I mean, no, nobody really, who collects training aids other than golf pros have a bag <laughs> and a closet full of training aids. So a lot of right. people have 30 training <laughs> aids, but, but but I have thou- thousands, you know, 5,000 or more uh, training aids. And where I got them all was all the products that were submitted to us, I have one of those products, um, you know, that I that I kept or products that we sold over the last 35 years, um, products, vintage products that I found off eBay, historical products that my dad, you know, collected from the 1920s and 30s. Like, I've got wow. all these different training aids. And so mm. one of the exciting things for me um, was I was always into, just like my dad, you know, as a collector, I, training aids were my, my thing to collect. And, and And so I paid a lot of attention to uh, what came out, who did it. I got to know all the vendors, what their story was, how they developed the products. But one of the things that I got to do was um, I used to fly up to Crystal City every year and I met with a a guy up there named George Marlowe. George Marlowe was the primary examiner. If you look at the class uh, 8273 for golf training aids and you look at any golf training aid, virtually any golf training aid that was patented, from I don't know you know 19 let's say 75 through or 1970 through through 1990 like for 20 30 years probably he was the primary examiner for all those products and I used to meet with him and I used to be able to go up not to the little microfish but actually up to the shoeboxes where they've got the original patent, and original patent applications and I was fascinated by that stuff um, to see because what what it allowed you to see. Was you got to see the evolution. So here I am at, my, at the house. My dad's got this extensive, extensive historical golf collection. So I'm looking at all the clubs and I'm looking at all the balls and I'm looking at the postcards and the sheet music and the clothes. And I, I'm I'm getting to see this development of the clubs and the balls from the late 1800s all the way through till you know when when you don't need to collect vintage stuff anymore. 1940s basically. His collection would run from 1880 to 1940s, and and at the same time go back and look at the patents and see what were people patenting that were golf training aids. And there was a number of golden eras of golf training aid development, you know, in the 1920s and the, and the 19, uh, you know, uh, 60s and then the 1990s was, was sort of the last boom of all these training aids um, that all these, because imagine again, there's not a ton of communication from place to place. So independently all these people are, are developing something that they think is the key to a better golf swing and the key to lower right. scores. So you get to see the evolution of, how, of teaching, really, of you know, how, how, what people think is important in the golf swing and how that's taught. You can see in all the patents on the golf training aids. So how does this relate to new products? Well, so one of the things that I've been able to do is go back and revisit all of the products that I have, so not only, you know, you talk about the ones that were patented, but how many for every patent, there's probably another hundred that weren't patented that were still made. So I'm looking at all these, and I'm able to to to, to pick and choose elements of these different products and say, what would be the best laser swing plane trainer? What would be the best weighted club? Like, if it, like there's not mm-hmm. necessarily one thing that everyone's going to and everyone agrees on that this this is the best, you know, system for, and there, there have been ones that have done well, right, for speed training and things like that. But like, what the goal is, is to find fundamentally sound products that a beginner can use, um, and uh, that an intermediate player can use, or a tour player can use. And um, there should be some, you know, the products themselves, and then guidance on who they're for, when to use them, how to use them. Um, so that's something that's going to be uh, part of the the future of the company is designing and manufacturing as well as identifying and partnering with people with not only novel concepts, but also mm-hmm. really tried and true uh, classics, if you will, but that, you know, there was no Internet 25 years ago uh, for people right. to go do email marketing and have a broad enough audience. So you had these products that were very good products, but how long can you sustain, you know, a business selling three hundred products a year five hundred or what like there's products that now would sell a lot more because they're they're great concepts and can be made i think better and uh that's 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 part of what we're gonna be doing are are things like that you know putting mats but that have some unique features to them that are different than you know current putting mats that have good, some good training components, a weighted club laser clubs, things like that um you'll see uh definitely in in, in the in the coming months.
2: Fantastic. Um, I think it's a a great business model. Um, uh, Unfortunately John wasn't able to join us as well tonight. That would have been fun to get his uh, input but I'm glad that uh, Dane you were able to uh, uh, to jump on tonight and I appreciate that and all the information and let's uh, two things we're going to do is give them the website and it's golftrainingaids.com. We've been talking about it here for the last uh, close to the last hour. That's where we want to send everybody to get them to check out some of the great products. And, uh, Emily, uh, you have a, an Instagram account that you want to send people to as well. They can see some uh, videos and so forth. Uh, where can they go to get more information?
1: Yes, it is. My uh, personal one is golfergirlm on Instagram, and uh, there are ours is golf training aids. And you'll be able to see lots of different photos and videos, and we're very excited to have everyone follow us.
2: Very good. And, uh, Emily, I'm going to be reaching out to you um, after I come back from Pinehurst. John has already sent me the information. Um, I'm the publisher of Golf Tips magazine as well. So... Um, I'm looking at maybe uh, getting involved in the ambassador program. So I know that he put me in touch with you. So I don't know if you realized it was the same person or not, but it was me. Um, so I'll, I'll reach out to you. It's me the whole time. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I didn't know for sure. So, anyways, I will. Uh, I'll reach out to you. I'm going to be in Pinehurst this weekend, and I'll be back uh, about oh. the middle of next week. So I'll, I'll send you. I have got your email. So I'll time send at you Pinehurst. an email. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I, I probably needed a couple of training aids before I head up there, but... Uh, are you <laughs> they've but I'll, got, I'll,
4: they They've got some up there. Uh,
0: uh, I am, actually. I'm,
2: I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm starting out Saturday. I'm just going to warm up on the cradle, and then number two on yeah. Sunday, number four Monday, and number nine on uh, on uh, Tuesday, sorry. So, I yeah. I listened to yeah. all yeah. of
4: your uh, <laughs> interview with Nicole Weller, and, uh, you know, oh, yeah. I, I've got to thank you for... Yeah, I've got to thank you for having us on the show and and, uh, for doing such a great job over the past 10 years. I mean, when you see, you know, people like Nicole, who's, you know, she's, uh, well, you know, she's been involved in everything, right? I I know she was your first guest, and she's just, she represents, you know, uh, 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 the best of what teachers, you know, are, like, in this industry. And I have a lot of respect for her, Mm. uh, but also for you for, you know, actually creating this forum and giving people an opportunity to hear Mm us talk about our, well, we do because, uh, but it's, it, as far as, as far as reaching us as well as our phone number, um, if anyone wants to reach us, they can call and they can talk to me uh, about anything, you know, products, hopefully uh, Emily, uh, Christian, um, any of the guys or shipping guys that are there, the number is eight hundred four gary So uh, that, that's in, 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 uh, in honor of my dad, uh, who's, who's still, mm-hmm. still alive and well, 87, still, uh, you know, director of instruction, wow. instruction at, uh, jump international so he's still teaching and active and he's got a passion for golf and wants to you know write his final book on uh the finding the enjoy the joy in the game that's what uh, he he wants to be remembered for um but eight hundred four mm-hmm. gary which is eight hundred three six seven four two seven nine. 367 that's how people can reach us and and i'm dane at at golftrainingaids.com uh,
2: perfect and again golftrainingaids.com is the website to visit a lot of great products on there and uh, Golfer Earl M is uh, Emily's uh, Instagram account. You can get, check out some great videos and photos and so forth there. And um, thank you guys for joining me on, on Golf Talk Live. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll have you guys on again. When you get ready to launch some new stuff uh, and mm-hmm. you're excited to share it, you can come back on and share it with my audience. I'd happy to have you here. So thank you both very much. Have a great weekend. And, Emily, I'll be in touch with you next week sometime.
1: Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate Can't it. Can't wait. Yeah, thanks, Chuck. We'll
2: All, right. All right. Take care. Have a great evening.
1: Bye-bye.
2: Sure, All, right. All right. That was Dane Wyron and Emily Faulkner from golftrainingaids.com. Thanks, guys, for, uh, for joining me uh, this evening and sharing a lot about uh, their products and available on golftrainingaids.com. You want to check them out. It's a great website, a lot of uh, good information there, and hopefully some good products that uh, you can use to help your... Uh, elevate your game uh, a few notches. And again, special thanks to my good friend Pete Buchanan for joining me earlier on the Coach's Corner panel. On that note, again, next Tuesday there will not be a Women of Golf show, um, but next Thursday there will be another Golf Talk Live with another Coach's Corner panel and an insightful guest interview. I hope you'll join me. God bless everybody, and I'll let you know how I did at Pinehurst next week. Take care.
0: Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coaches Corner Panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.